Good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. So, so glad that you have joined us. Some of you have joined us live stream and others of you have joined us live and you're wondering why he can't turn on his own microphone. I don't know, but so glad that you, this is the final message in this series called Church and it probably wins the award for the least creative sermon series title ever in the history of the church, but uh, I really have felt like it was necessary in this season, not only in our congregation, but in the season in our our land and our world to kind of step back and ask, well, what's the church for anyway? Today's message is called Your Church, and it comes, as the messages in this church do, it comes from the Bible, this time from the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible with you and it looks something like this, I want to invite you to locate Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. Uh, others of you may have your Bible with you, but it's loaded on your phone and that's fine. Scroll there to Galatians 6, 1 through 3. And if you don't have one that looks like this and it's not on your phone, that is okay. The words are going to be up on the screen as they always are at just the right time. And and that's really vitally important to us that you're able to see the scripture for yourself on a Sunday rather than merely taking my word for it. Because we believe a couple of significant things about the Bible. And one of those is that although this looks like a book, this is not a book. It's a library written by a lot of authors over a long span of time in multiple writing styles. And when we're in the book of Galatians, we are literally in the correspondence section of the library. This is a real letter written by a real man, Paul, to a real collection of churches in a region called Galatia in, in what is today Turkey. And these Galatian churches, they were dealing with real issues. And so these letters, this letter was not written to us, but thank you, Jesus, it was preserved for us. So we're sort of eavesdropping in on some correspondence that was delivered to other people. And, and the fact that that's the kind of uh, collection the Bible is, it, it is a fact. A lot of people don't know it. We found it extraordinarily helpful in reminding ourselves whenever we gather what the Bible is because it helps us to interpret it more accurately. The second thing that we believe about the Bible, this moves into that realm of treasured, deeply held conviction that we have in leadership here. And some of you, when, when I say what I'm gonna say, you may be like, I'm, I'm not sure about that yet. I'm still investigating, that's okay. And others may be like, hallelujah, thank you for believing it. And I'm, I'm glad you say you believe it. Well, that's even more okay. But here, here's what it is. We in leadership, we, we believe there's no other library like this one. That in a way beyond our understanding, God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired, eternal, and true. Because we believe that in leadership here, because we like the clarity of, of stating that, we do something a little bit strange when we talk about the Bible together. We lift it up. And, and if you've never been here before, never tuned in before, and there's phones in the air and Bibles in the air, and you're just like, that's kind of strange. We admit it. It is. But we have discovered, and we pray you will discover shortly as well, that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community where a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? And before I say another word, let's pray and pray with me and also please pray for me. Let's pray. So God, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Who inspired Paul to write to the churches in Galatia? And thank you, the Holy Spirit is still moving, breathing, active. 
and let that spirit breathe life into me and all within the sound of my voice because I really am powerless without you. But hallelujah, because of you, I'm never helpless. Amen. So we are, uh, we are in church today. And, and when I, I say we're in church, I don't mean we're in the church building and I don't mean we're in the church broadcast. I mean, we're in the series church. What's it for anyway? And, and the way the series has gone, we started out looking at the church, like what's the reason for the global church, the church. And then the second week was this church part one. And then the third week, we got super creative with the titles and it was called This Church Part. You can do better. It was called This Church Part. Yeah. And then today it's called Your Church, which really is a way of asking and talking about how does a place, how does a collection of people move from a church to my church? And, and sometimes it, it, it happens kind of instantly like that congregation where, where early on in the service, the pastor stands up and announces that it's his last Sunday at that church, that he's been taking a job at another church. And he tells the people gathered, Jesus called me to this church. And now Jesus is calling me away from the church. And immediately the worship leader stands up and says, let's stand and sing what a friend we have in Jesus. And some of you are like, please let that be today at this church. No, no, no. And you're like, instantly, you know, that's, that's my church. Other times, other times it's much more gradual when, when someone feels like, okay, this is, this is my church. Uh, really, it, it happens along the lines of a conversation that through the years, uh, if I've had it once, I've had, a thou had it a thousand times. And, and it goes something like this, that people will, will come to me and they will, they will say, preacher or Talbot, that usually say one of those two things, or sometimes preacher Talbot, and they will say, we're just looking for a place that feels comfortable. We're, we're, we're looking for a place that fits. We're looking for a place that's safe. In fact, some of you may be thinking that right now. Some of you may have thought that in the past. And when people say things like that, I, I like spring into action. I'm like, well, that's what you're looking for. That's us. We will be that place that is familiar and that is comfortable and that is safe. In fact, for some of you may have even tried some of that on this morning. It's really, and, and the team here, we, we try to do that same thing. And it's, it's really almost the Sunday morning version of, well, what's it gonna take to get you to drive home in this church today is, 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 is the response. But, but as I think about that, and as I think even of, of my own response through the years, what if, what if that criteria is the wrong criteria upon which to build a church, upon which to decide if a church is your church? Which is a way of asking, what if I've been doing it somehow wrong all these years? What if, if when you're looking for your church or, or I as leading a church, I wanna make sure that church is familiar and comfortable and safe. What if, if that is the reason that people will stay at a church, pretty soon, it's also the reason that people will leave a church. Meaning that, that if, 
safety and familiarity and even a degree of anonymity is, is a reason why people will connect with a particular church. The moment that safety changes, the moment it starts to feel uncomfortable, the moment people lose some anonymity and begin to get a little bit known is the moment that they also leave. Seen it happen on, on more than a few occasions. And so, so what if that whole criteria, man, I just want someplace that's safe and familiar and comfortable. What if that's wrong from the get-go, but even more to the point, even more significantly, what if that whole criteria, hey, we're looking for a place that's safe, and comfortable and familiar. What if that's not God's design? What if God's design for you and for me and for any of us for, for locating that particular expression of the body of Christ where we will connect ends up having very, very little to do with those kind of criteria we set up? What if when God inspired Paul to write these words to the churches in Galatia so long ago, what if it only took Paul three little verses, I mean, just the first three verses of Galatians chapter six to blow my own paranoia out of the water, to blow your own preferences out of the window? What if God knew something about people and their desire to connect with churches that, that ultimately, at some level, he couldn't let us keep getting away with? Because actually... What if God knew that when people come to a church, even this church, they come with things that they want to keep doing and secrets they want to keep keeping and yet God loves you way too much to let you keep keeping secrets that you shouldn't ought to be keeping and doing things that ultimately are self-destructive for you. And what if church is part of God's great arsenal in moving us from that place of sickness and ultimately to a, to a place of health. Because in the early chapters of the, of the book of Galatians, Paul has been ministering to this, a collection of churches. It's a region, Galatia is a region. And, and these churches have been badly infected with false teaching. They, they thought that in order to become Christian, it was Jesus plus. And Paul's devoted the early chapters of, this, uh, of, of the book of Galatians to saying, no, for your salvation, for your living relationship with Jesus Christ, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus and then more Jesus. Can I hear an amen for that? And after spending all that time teaching them about what has been false in their thinking, towards the end of the book, Paul pivots and he begins to teach them about what their lives should look like from a basis of true teaching. I've, I've settled what you all should think about Jesus and how he can't be added to, how he can't be improved upon. Now, Galatian churches, here's how you live that out together. Look at what he says in chapter six, verse two. He says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Isn't that a lovely thought? And carrying each other's burdens, that's, that's like when you walk through a season of divorce with someone. That's carrying burdens. That's, carrying each other's burdens is when you give that person a ride to chemotherapy. That's carrying each other's burdens. Carrying each other's burdens is, is when you're that listening ear, when that parent is struggling with a wayward adult 
child. That's what carrying one another's burdens is. And, and, and Paul says in, in, in kind of this counterintuitive thinking, when you carry each other's burdens, that fulfills the law. And we're like, law? I thought, I thought law was all restrictive and no fun. And, and Paul's like, no, the law of Christ is something beautiful. And there are these deposits of trust that you put in it. There are these deposits of carrying one another's burdens that you place in it. And then you make these withdrawals from it as well. I think, I think when I think of carrying each other's burdens within the context of a church, it's like that time in Monroe in, in the 1990s, some of you know this and others of you don't, 1990s, I was a pastor of a church in Monroe, about 25, 30 miles from here. And, and there was this one time in leadership where I had blown it. I mean, I had blown it. Just made a ridiculous leadership decision. And, and I was like, the only way that whatever ministry credibility I have built up at this church can survive my boneheaded leadership decision is for Jesus to come back today, if not sooner. And, and, and since what I'm telling you about happened in 1997, he didn't come back. And I just figured the whole, th you know, just done. My, my stupidity had done us in. And, and well, a, a man from the church came by that day and he just because office was, it was in the house and he, and, he, and he comes back and he says, well, wh what's up? And, and I lost it. I mean, I'd blown it and then I lost it. I was just a blubbering mess. It was like I'd seen the movie Old Yeller and it was my dog who died. I mean, that's how hard I was crying. And when I was just crying so hard with this, with this guy, you know what he didn't do? He, di he didn't say, well, turn in your man card, you crybaby. And he, he didn't say, pull yourself up, you, you, you weenie. He, he didn't say any of that stuff. Instead, he did the best thing he could. He started crying too. And then we sat down and then we figured out how to put this sort of broken ministry thing back together and it worked. And, and my burden was carried that day. That's what it's like. And then here, I mean, that happened in Monroe. And then, and then here at Good, Good Shepherd, the, the degree to which you all trust me and trust others on our staff with the stuff that you're going through is is just remarkable. You, you share stuff from your history. And for some of you, history was last night. And you share, share stuff from your lives. And each time I'm privileged to enter into that, I mean, dark stuff sometimes, secrets a lot of times. And, and each time I'm just, so, thank you so much for trusting me with that. There, there, there's been some sense that there's, there's some measure, of, I, I guess, of, of safety in sharing those kind of secrets in this community. And that's really carrying one another's burdens. Because secrets, we got them. There's secrets in here today. Like in our house, I, I do the laundry and, and, and every once in a while doing the laundry, I, I get careless and I put one of Julie's nice blouses in the dryer where it's not supposed to go. And then afterwards, I, when I realize what I've done, I, I hang it up and pretend like I, it dried naturally. <laughs> Turned to your neighbor and said, that guy's going to hell. No. <laughs> but there there's more, there's, there's other secrets. Someone here doesn't really believe 
You, you come to church or you tune into church because you're supposed to. There's some people that, that count on you to be here, count on you to tune in. But, but deep down, you don't really believe in what it is that we talk about. Someone else here, you were uh, abused as a child. And deep down, you think you're the only one. And someone else here doesn't feel like you will ever be good enough. You'll never measure up. And one of those reasons you think you'll never measure up is because your parents did such an excellent job of instilling that in you. They let you know all the ways that you fell short and all the ways that you didn't measure up and you still carry that burden with you. And then someone else here, you are attracted romantically, sexually, to people of the same gender. And you, you, you know your urges, you know what scripture says. And it's one of those secrets that you keep so deeply, that secret is actually keeping you. And so Good Shepherd, when, when Paul says, carry one another's burdens, he's really encouraging the gathered church community to be the kind of place that really is safe enough for secrets to be shared. Because when secrets, because a lot of you, you have the self-awareness and you know you're only as sick as your secrets. And a lot of you have that self-awareness. And Paul, it wants the church to know, hey, you gotta be that kind of place where those secrets, where, it, where a church can actually be, actually be a safe place, safe enough to share your secrets. But however, in fact, if that's where it stops, if that's all that a church is supposed to do, oh, you, we just wanna be a, a place to, to hear your secrets, to deal with your stuff. You know what the danger of that is? The danger is that the church can enable people. And do you know what enabling is? Enabling is this relational dynamic where you empower, allow, sometimes even fund the behavior in someone else that's ultimately killing them. And some of you are enablers for your adult children. Others of you are enablers for your mate. And some of you were enabled by your parents. You're being enabled by your mate into behavior that they allow, they tolerate some kind of behavior along some kind of spectrum that, that's really ultimately killing you. And that's why, that, that's why Paul, he doesn't only say carry one another's burdens because he knows then we'll have a church full of enabled people. Look how Paul starts this out in chapter six and verse one. Look what he says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. Think of what he doesn't say. Someone's caught in a sin, look the other way. Someone's caught in a sin, just love on them. Just enable them, right? So they can continue doing it, but you won't have any conflict. He doesn't say any of that. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
And what Paul is saying, man, it, within the church community, your church needs to be that kind of place where we will accept you. You will be accepted no matter what you've done or where you've been, but you will also be challenged to become someone that God has designed you to be. You, you won't be enabled to continue in behavior that's actually killing you. You'll be empowered to move into a different kind of life altogether. And, 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 and Paul is saying, we will, we'll love you enough to hear those secrets, but we will love you so much, we're not gonna let those secrets keep killing you. And, and so really, you, you peel back what Paul's saying in Galatians chapter six and verses one and two, because Paul's so inspired by God. And the God who inspires Paul is so good. And he wants our best. And here it is what I want you to know today. Your church, Good Shepherd, your church is safe enough to hear your secrets, but dangerous enough not to let you keep them. Your church, when you're looking, how do I know when a church is to become my church? It's when you have a community. Yeah, it is safe enough to hear your history, to hear your today, to hear what's going on inside of your life, but just dangerous enough that it will propel you towards Jesus's best from you. It will stop enabling you and start empowering you. Your church Safe enough to hear your secrets, but dangerous enough not to let you keep them. Your church, your church, Good Shepherd, is, is safe enough to hear what happened in Vegas, but dangerous enough to let you know that what happened in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. That's a lie from the pits of hell. What happened in Vegas has tentacles that enter into your life in the Carolinas and can bring you down. And in these moments of rigorous honesty, you probably need to deal with some of the fallout from what happened so that you no longer keep secrets that are keeping you, your church. is safe enough to hear your secrets and dangerous enough not to let you keep them. Because really... If you think about it, if, if sort of all you want from church, you know, some people look around, all, all, all I want in that church, I, I just want to keep doing the things I'm doing and I want to keep secret that keep keeping the secrets I've been keeping. That a church like that is really in danger of affirming you all the way to hell. And I don't know, but if I'm given a choice between affirming people to hell and offending them into the kingdom, I'll take that offense every time. And I suspect you would too. And I don't feel like we're, we're, we're there yet. I, I, I don't believe that, you, you know, we've got this down when, when I talk about a church being safe enough to hear your secrets and dangerous enough to not let you keep them. We're, we're not there, but I really like the start that we have. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have a, a, a counselor that we work with in, in Charlotte as practices in, in another part of the city. And, and we refer a lot of people to this counselor and, and he's a therapist and he deals with the thorniest issues of people's lives. I mean, he, with people's identity, self-understanding, sexuality, just deep, very thorny kind of issues. And, and we, we know, you know, we'll hear our secrets and we're gonna be dangerous enough not to let you keep them, but we also know our limits. And, and so we know when to 
refer people. And, and as I was processing our church with this therapist, kind of part of our relationship, I, I love what he said. He, he, and he's dealt with a lot of people who go to church here. And here's what he said about his clients, our congregants. He said, they always say it's a safe place. And I'm like, hallelujah. People dealing with thorny, difficult issues. Just because we we encourage and challenge you to move towards wholeness doesn't mean we have to do it like jerks. We want to do it with the love of Jesus motivating us. And what I'm talking about when I talk about your church is safe enough to hear your secrets and dangerous enough not to let you keep them. It happens in groups life groups and grow groups and care classes. And we got groups and towards, towards the end of our time together later this morning, I'm gonna be out in the lobby with some people from our groups department. We wanna get you in a group. It happens in groups and it, it happens with our pastors and meeting our pa- pastors and, and it happens with counselors. We just wanna make sure that it happens because we know that a living relationship with Jesus Christ which is what we're inviting all people into. Living things stretch and they grow and they change and they don't stay in a state of dysfunction. And we don't want you to either. I think really when when a church understands this, maybe when we understand it, we realize that for all of you, man, we we, we know that everybody's on this continuing. We, we, We want people to be delivered and then we want them to be developed and then we want them to be deployed. We, we, we want to be there when, when people are delivered from themselves by the blood of Jesus into a life of forgiveness and wholeness. Because we know, we know that a lot of people are their own worst enemies. Come on. Can I hear an amen for the fact that we're our own worst enemies? This is why we get into ministry in the first place. We want to be part of God's rescue plan. But it doesn't stop there. We, we, we help deliver them through Jesus and then develop them in Jesus. And this is why we have groups and it's why we have classes because we want people to grow in biblical literacy and in emotional maturity. And then we want to deploy them for Jesus. And it's so interesting because sometimes if a church only delivers and never develops, then church is like a cul-de-sac. Give me more, give me more, give me more. But if it only deploys <laughs> and never delivers or never really develops, it only, hey, we need you in minute today. Hey, you know, we got saved today. Congratulations, tomorrow you're in charge of middle school because <laughs> we couldn't get anybody else to do it. No, no, it's, it's this movement from delivering to, to being developed to being deployed. And uh, it's so much like what happened with, I, I lead a, I'm really blessed here. I, I get to lead a couple of different men, uh, life groups here. One is a men's group and it, the guy's kind of 10 years younger than me to 10 years older than me or so. It's just, it's a men's group. And the other, the other group is a young, young adults group and they're in their twenties and, and early thirties and they let me lead them. And, and uh, the kind of the origin of that group, the young adult group was a, a young married couple and I did their wedding and I, I just love them, love them, love them. And they're kind of the hub of the group and, and the, the wife is the communications director and the husband is the technology director, which means she sends out the text messages and he plugs in the TV. I need that kind of help. And, and I just, I love this couple. Love them, love them, love them. And I just wanted to hoard them, keep them. Don't ever take my couple from my group because it's my group. And I love these people so much. And then God and some smart people here help me 
maybe some smart people here and God. So they helped me see that you can't hoard ministry, that this young couple had been developed and it was now time to be deployed. And so we, as a group, we were able to commission this young couple into an entirely new kind of ministry where they're part of this re-engage movement that's part of our beautiful marriage movement. They are gonna become leaders in a marriage enrichment group that's gonna bless the whole church and, and, our, and a church and community. And so our life group, we deploy them out. We commission, y'all are our missionaries. Well, and I you know, don't take my people from them because I developed them and I love them. You know what? This past Wednesday, that same young adult group met and we commissioned them a couple months ago, that same young adult group met. We had more people in our young adult group on Wednesday than we'd ever had before. And it's God's math. Because when you, when you multiply, it's God's math. When you multiply ministry, he replenishes the supply of people. It's the way that he works. It only took me 59 years to figure it out. That's what happens. That's what happens, good shepherd. Your church, safe enough to hear your secrets, but dangerous enough not to let you keep them, which might even mean that you end up being deployed into a ministry that a year ago you would have never thought it was even possible. Because really, ultimately, you, want, you know what I want for the people of Good Shepherd? It, it's this, that you would have the kind of faith that could weather the church's own demise. That the church can disappoint, but you've been developed and deployed to the point, to the point that your faith remains. That, that I could get called away, which is not likely, but I could get called away and you really would have a friend in Jesus. Because really that we wanna grow the kind of people whose faith doesn't depend on the church body. It depends on the one who is the head of the body, the church, even Jesus. Which is why Paul finishes Galatians 6 verse 3 by saying this, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. We want a church full of people who know that they're not all that until they're all his and all the grace-filled danger that implies. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for the fact that you love us so much. You won't let us stay as sick as our secrets. And I just pray that you would do a remarkable work in the people of Good Shepherd, that groups would flourish and classes would grow and hearts would become unburdened. And we really would live into this calling as your church. And I pray all of these things in the strong and the saving name of Jesus. Amen.